Hey, let's, uh, let's uh, open the Word of God together. Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. It is our series text. If you are catching up, we are in the midst of a new season, a new season together uh, titled Fresh. Uh, and uh, I want to read to you very quickly our, our series text. I don't know that I'll do this every week, but I want to just continue to do it for the next few weeks so you get a, a healthy framework of, of where it is that we are uh, looking and what it is that we're hoping uh, to accomplish or arrive at. So it says this in Galatians chapter 5. This is the Apostle Paul writing to the, to the church in Galatia. He says in verse 16, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. Interesting, we just said, do whatever you want, Lord. Paul, didn't, Paul said, don't do whatever you want, people. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Verse 22, but... Everyone say, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control against such things. There is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And since we live by the spirit, let us keep in step with the spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Over the, many of you would know this, over the last several months, seven months to be exact, we've been on this journey of learning what it means to be a disciple, to, to be a true follower of Jesus in belief and practice. And, and in an effort to do that, I recognize that throughout the scriptures, there's this constant notion that Jesus is often teaching that we will, in fact, as disciples, be known by our fruit, by our fruit. And, and I felt deeply that uh, as we have come out of a season of learning what it means to be a disciple, that, that just like we pray, we need a fresh wind. Or we need some fresh air. You know, when you get into a room and it's stuffy. Oh, man, I just got to get outside and get some fresh air. We needed some fresh, cool mornings instead of some raining, groggy mornings, right? Some of you are praying, Lord, if the rain would just stop for one day. And then, you know, in a week you'd be like, Lord, if it would just rain for one day. We're always praying for something fresh. And I thought that if we're in the midst of, of, of a season where we're praying for fresh wind or fresh air, that maybe just maybe we would are in need of a, a, a fresh perspective on what it truly means to be known by our fruit. So let me just throw one into the, to the prayer bucket, if you will. And maybe more importantly, we would discover how this fruit is produced in our lives. And that is, in fact, what I hope to accomplish, is that we will learn and discover uh, what it is that the Lord would like to teach us, reveal to us, and produce in us, and more importantly, through us. That is why we are on this journey together, to discover the fresh fruit of the Spirit. Everyone say fresh. If you remember a couple weeks ago, uh, we took a little pause, and, I, and I, I speak specifically from the heart of the Father last week on Father's Day. Happy Father's Day to those of you who weren't here last Sunday. Uh, we just want you to know that you are loved, and if you didn't get a chance to hear that message, um, I would encourage you to go back and listen to it. And if you are not a father, but you're a son or daughter, I would encourage you to go back and listen to it as well. Uh, and if you're just wondering, man, am I growing in any area of my life? Also, go back and listen to last week's message because I covered 
all three. But for the sake of today, let's stay on track. Uh, we discovered, as outlined, we just read in Galatians 5 and 22, that there are nine attributes or characteristics that are formed and developed when we put our faith in Jesus, when we receive his spirit, and we begin to learn how to keep in step with the spirit. And what happens is that the result of that effort allows for us to look more and more like Jesus to the world around us. We just prayed that, that we would show what you are like to all the world. And so before I get into today's text, and if you want to jump ahead, you can. We're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 13. But before I do that, I, I thought it was important and it fitting that Brandon used 1 Corinthians 13 in his offering message. He did not know that this was the text for today. Uh, I want you to remember that in the Greek, fruit is singular. It's not plural. It's singular. I know that the Chiquita fruit basket has often uh, caused us to think that when we refer to the fruit of the Spirit, we think of it as a multitude. Fruits, it's not. It's singular, not plural. And it is a sum total of the fruit of the Spirit. So in other words, what, what we're really talking about here is not a buffet, if you will. We're going to cancel the buffets. It's not a buffet where we get to pick and choose which fruit we'd like to have in our life. But rather, when we receive his spirit and we practice or learn to keep in step with him, we are then formed and will produce the fruit of the spirit, which is what Christ's likeness looks like. As Paul states in Romans 8 and verse 29, he says this, For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. He, he formed, he, he predestined for us to be formed into the very image of his son. In order to be conformed into the image of his son, it looks like all nine attributes or characteristics being properly formed and produced in our life. It's an all-in kind of life. It's, it's full pursuit of Christ-likeness, which means that we will, in fact, produce all nine characteristics or, or, or attributes that are defined by the fruit of the Spirit. It's kind of like a prism. If the light, which is Jesus, is shining through a prism, which is us, there's a light coming in, and it reflects something of multiple colors. Those are, it'll, it'll reflect or it will shine to those around us. What they would see is the image of Christ, which would be representation of nine all attributes in full display for all to see and know. That is what it means to be conformed to the image of a son. He desires to see in each of us all nine attributes that make up the fruit of the Spirit, fully matured, fully producing, and working in us and through us. That is, in fact, what fresh fruit truly is. Now, now I want to I be very careful here because you might think, well, that's impossible. How do I ever grow in love? How do I ever have self-control? Well, that's exactly the reason why we encourage us to go and pray to spend time in the presence of God, so that as a result, he will begin to mature in us that which is not ripe in us. And that's why the question that I posed last week was, I think, is so important, and it's maybe a secondary question for us to consider over the next few weeks, is it's simply this. What character trait or attribute do you feel is most ripe in your life? Which one? Which one do you feel, out of the nine, is most ripe in your life? That is an honest question for you to answer and, and be confident in. If you've had more self-control in the past year, then, then be proud of the fact that self-control is pretty ripe in your life. 
Be proud of that. If you're unsure, ask your spouse, a close friend. Ask your pastor. Ask your D group leader. Ask your boss. Do you see any of these nine attributes in my life? And then the second part of that question is, which do you feel is needing some ripening? This isn't a bloodbath where we're beating you up like you're falling short. This is simply an invitation for us to consider, are we producing, in fact, Christ-likeness in our life in, on full display? How do we do that? Identifying what's right and uh, being honest with ourselves with what is not right in our life. And what, what happens is when we begin to understand or discover what is ripe and what's not is it gives us something to pray about. It gives us something to seek the Lord about. It gives us something to sit in the presence of God, as Pastor Katie said, and just be still. And let his spirit go to work at producing within us these characteristics or attributes that he calls for us to have. You see, my hope and desire is that each of us would know Jesus. This is my deepest desire, is that we would know Jesus, that, that we would, in fact, put our faith in him, and we would choose to follow him. But we would also be willing and, and, and excited to receive his spirit because we're starting to understand what the purpose of his spirit is really for. And that we could then together teach and learn his commandments so that we would become disciples who look and live more like Jesus every day and then go out and do the very work he's commissioned you and I to do together. Go and make disciples. That is my greatest desire. When I get to heaven, that's what I hope I would hear. Well done, good and faithful servant. You fulfilled the plan and the purpose that I had for your life. And if, and if I can do that, if we can do that, then guess what will happen? The Holy Spirit will begin to reveal to us the characteristics of our life that are ripe, and will show us through His Spirit the characteristics of our life that are not ripe, which will lead to a life of maturing in the Spirit and produce fresh fruit in our lives. Someone say fresh. You see, in the end, it's a person or community who are known by their fruit, all of them, all nine. It's a person or a community, and in this case, I want to talk about the context of community. It is a community who are known by their fruit. It is a community of disciples who are committed to making disciples who are known by our fruit, all nine of them, that, that are known as disciples, which becomes the identifying mark of a people or a church, in this case, who are learning to keep in step with the Spirit. I say, we're just learning. Class is in session. You never graduate. You're always growing. You're always learning. You're always discovering. You're always going from strength to strength, the Bible says, from glory to glory, because there's always something new to discover. We'll never fully grasp or understand or know the, the height, the width, the depth, the length of his kingdom. But if we commit to one another and to him, more importantly, to pursue him with our whole hearts and allow his spirit to produce in us, we might see heaven invade the earth, his kingdom come, and his will be done in our lifetime. How amazing would that be? So throughout this, this series, this season, we're going to look at each attribute or character trait in an effort to better understand it and as much help as it will to mature or ripen in us, each of us, some of these traits and characteristics. My hope is that we will learn what each trait is and what it isn't and possibly even discover what the enemy or counterfeit of each characteristic trait might look like or be. How's that sound? Classes in session. So today we're going to start with love. 
Everyone say love. And if you're looking for a title message, I just decided to title this Real Love, just in case we were mistaken it for the fake one. This is real love. Let us pray real quickly together, and we're going to unpackage this text in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and 13. Heavenly Father, we pray that this day we would be filled with your presence, and that you would fill us more and more each day. Lord Jesus, I pray that this day we may take up our cross and follow you, that your Holy Spirit would fill us and produce in us more of your fruit, and that which is ripened, it continues to ripen, and that which is not ripe would be ripened. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Let them be produced in us, and let your glory shine through us in everything we do. Amen. So as we look at arguably the most famous text in Scripture on the subject of love, uh, this is in fact written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Corinth, the community of believers in Corinth. And uh, in it, I think we'll see what love is and isn't. So here we go. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 31, I think is always important to include in my own personal opinion. I don't have any theology to back this up. I just find that it's very fitting as Paul is encouraging and teaching the church in Corinth. And he says this, and yet I will show you the most excellent way. And then in verse 13, chapter 13, verse 1, he says, If I speak in tongues of men or of angels but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast but do not have love, I gain Nothing. But verse 4 says, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Verse 8, love never fails. Love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy only in part. But when completeness comes, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Let us look uh, from this text what love is. Love is, in fact, patient. It is kind, it is honoring, it is sacrificial, it is humble, it is truthful, it's protective, love is trustworthy, it's hopeful, it perseveres. Love never fails. The Greek word for fails actually is translated to fall, so you could say love never falls. It never gives up. Love is not, however, anxious. Love is not envious. It is not boastful. It is not arrogant. It is not dishonoring. 
It is not self-serving. It is not angry or short-tempered. It is not a book of wrongs others have done. It does not delight in evil or doing evil or getting even. I just added that as the end. I don't know if you're like me. I like to get even sometimes because I'm just human. Love is not. It's not these things. It's not these things. If, if, if you find yourself, here's just an easy little, a little formula. If you find yourselves more in the love is category than the love is not category, then maybe love is more ripe in your life than you gave yourself credit for. If love is not is maybe higher on the result score than love is, then, then maybe, just maybe, love isn't as ripe in your life as you thought it was. Just an easy way. It's easy. I don't have my button. I was told to retire it. I want to make, I don't want, I, I, the good news is that easy. I don't want to water this down or dumb this down, but I want to help us to look at this really practically so that we have something tangible that we can operate from and we can start seeing fruit in our life rather than beating ourselves up all the time. Man, I'm not growing. I'm still a failure. I made a mistake. Welcome to the club. I made three this morning on my way to church. That's down from five last week. What we conclude, though, in all of this is this simple truth is that God is love. And I believe love appears first because it is the greatest quality in that it most clearly reflects the character of God. The Bible tells us as much in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. I'm going to go on a, probably a scripture crusade for a second. So if you want to catch up, great. If you want the notes, ask me and I'll send them to you. He also, Jesus says of himself in Matthew 22 and verse 37 through 40, he was actually quoting Deuteronomy and Leviticus. I know you're like, oh, really? Yeah, Jesus actually quoted Old Testament. It's pretty cool. When he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. And I believe that Paul puts it first because he operates from a place of deep personal understanding. He gets it. Because he experienced it. He's teaching it because he encountered it. He's passionate about us understanding it because he is a living example of what it means to encounter the very character of God, the love of God. Paul in Galatians 5 and 1 Corinthians 13 and throughout most of his letters isn't talking about sentimental feelings or being nice. He's talking about the kind of, of love. He's talking about real love that comes from being loved by God through a personal revelation of who Jesus is and what he did for him. And quite honestly, I find that I find myself in the same context when I read these letters and I'm encouraged and my faith is elevated because I, too, have had a personal encounter with real love. And I believe God's greatest desire is for you and for me to all have our own personal encounter of said real love. See, what happens as a result when Paul 
gets this revelation and he has this understanding because he's had this encounter is he begins to live a love your neighbor kind of life. He lives in full demonstration by the way he lives his life of what real love truly is all about. It's a real love that breaks down walls of division and hostility. If you remember, it was Paul who was charged to go to the Gentile nation and begin to proclaim the good news. It is the, the very life in which Paul lives that, that breaks down these divisions and hostility, and he unites people who would otherwise live as enemies. Stop with me for just a second and consider this for a moment. And, and I don't have time to read it, but if you want to go back and reference what I'm about to cover, go to Acts chapter 7 through 9. And it's about Paul's conversion. You see, you have to understand that Paul went from being public enemy number one. Of who? Disciples. Followers of Jesus. You and me. Like, imagine, for just a second, real life, we're up in here worshiping and proclaiming the good news and sharing the gospel and telling each other about what Jesus did. And, and then all of a sudden, just a brigade of men come walking across this little deck and open this door. And Paul is standing behind a brigade of men. And their sole responsibility is to come and drag us out and get us to denounce Jesus as our Lord and Savior. I know that's hard to imagine because we live in Johns Creek. You're like, that'll never happen. I know. But I'm just giving you a, a, a picture here. And so this, was, this is what's happening as Paul is talking about the kind of love in, in Galatians and 1 Corinthians that, that he experienced. He, he went from being public enemy number one of the disciples and seeing disciples of Jesus as an enemy to the Jewish sect, to seeing them as his, to, to, to seeing them as his number one enemy, to then seeing them as his neighbors and loving them as he had been loved. Could you imagine a world where the very man who is killing Christians one day, Stephen, as recorded in Scripture, and just a few days later, after a personal encounter with Jesus, goes into the very place where he was on a mission with orders from the local government to imprison and kill, if need be, any Christians who are demonstrating Christ-likeness. Instead, he demonstrates real love. This is the kind of love our neighbor as we love ourselves that the Father desires of us and desires for us to experience. It becomes what Christopher Wright calls love in action. Because, in fact, love is in action. Love that dissolves divisions. Love that brings people together who would otherwise hate, hurt, and even kill one another. Jesus says as much in John chapter 13. He says this in verse 34. A new commandment I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone. You notice how it says everyone. Doesn't say some. Doesn't say the right or the left. It doesn't say this community or that community. It doesn't say the people in the front row, not the people on the back row. It doesn't say the people OTP or ITP. It says everyone. Everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another, if you love everyone. In John chapter 15, in verse 12, he says, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Interesting. Love each other as I have loved you. Maybe it's, maybe it's 
an opportunity for us to reflect on our own love for each other based on whether or not we've received the love from Jesus. He just says it, love each other as I have loved you. If we're struggling to love our neighbor or we're picking and choosing which neighbors to love, maybe, just maybe, we haven't encountered the fullness of the love of God. Greater love has no one than this, that, they, that one may lay down his life for his friends, Jesus says. He says later in verse 17, this command in, is this, I, I love each other. You see, if you notice, the only distinction on who we are to love is one another, each other, everyone, everybody. This is, in fact, real love, friends. This is the very definition of agape love, which is the biblical term for love used in this context. The biblical type of love we're talking about here is, in fact, agape love. And it's important to understand that agape love is not a feeling. The last couple of weeks, if I was being honest with you, if, if, I was, if I was using any kind of love, I would use it more as a feeling, not as a way of life. But, but it is a choice. It is a choice to be kind. It is a choice to sacrifice. It is a choice to consider another's needs greater than my own. C.S. Lewis said it best in his book, Four Loves. He said, what most of us think of as love is really a kind of hunger. What most of us consider the feeling of love is actually a feeling of wanting to use somebody to meet our needs. Let me say that one more time. What most of us think of love is really a kind of hunger. What most of us consider the feeling of love is actually a feeling of wanting to use somebody to meet our needs. In other words, I'm only going to love you as long as you're meeting my needs. Maybe why divorce is at a all-time high. You're not meeting my needs anymore. I'm out. Well, if that was your basis of love when you said I do, then boy, let me tell you, as a church, we got some work to do. We have an opportunity. See, what Paul says to the church is very similar in, in his letter to the church in Philippi. He says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility. Count others more significant than yourself. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 3. I, I think what Paul and C.S. Are, are, are saying here is that real love is not a feeling. It's not something you offer based on need or what somebody will do for you or could do for you or has done for you or would potentially do for you. Love doesn't operate with motives. But rather, real love is formed and matured in us by the Spirit and begins to overflow from a well of love we have received when we grasp just how much the Father loves us, that He would give up His Son for us just so that we could have a relationship with Him and He could have a relationship with us. That is, in fact, the purest definition of agape love. It is a sacrificing every fleshly desire and being willing to lay down our lives for everyone, for each other, for one another, as outlined in Scripture. I was talking with uh, Katie about this over the last couple of weeks, and she said it best when she said, real love shows and is felt when we don't want to, but we do it anyway. 
Real love shows when it's, and it's felt when, when we don't want to, but we do it anyway. I got to be really honest. There's a lot of days I don't want to do a lot of things. Love being at the top of the list sometimes. But because of God's infinite love for me and his willingness to sacrifice his son for me, I have come to understand that love isn't defined by what I want. It is a result of what I've experienced and encountered that is real, that can never be taken from me, that has offered me so many opportunities, that has brought healing in places I never even thought I needed healing, that has offered me a life that I never imagined I'd live, who's trusted me with being a son and a husband and a father, and to be trusted to steward a community of people towards the Father's love, that is when I'm reminded that love is not based on what I want. It is a responsibility that I have based on what I've experienced. And I think that's exactly what the Apostle Paul was so passionate and committed to living his life to accomplish. So if love, if that is what love is and isn't, then what is the enemy or counterfeit of love? John says it in 1 John 4 and 18. He says it very clearly. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. My belief is that the enemy of love is, in fact, fear. And by definition, fear is, is, is translated to mean phobos, and, and, and simply it says this, to panic or flight. To be f- full of fear, the causing of fear or terror. To go deeper still, it, it means to withdraw or separate from. To flee or remove oneself. And hence to avoid because of dread. Or fleeing because one might feel inadequate. One who might feel as though they have insufficient resources. So they withdraw from the Lord or His will. They withdraw from one another. They withdraw from from somebody who's offered them so much and feel like they have nothing to offer them in return. So instead, they live in a perpetual state of fear and don't even necessarily know that that's the definition of fear. But that is, in fact, the very tension that love finds itself wrestling with. In other words, simply put, it's fear, it's panic, it's terror that causes us to withdraw, to flee, to isolate, to avoid. Is it, is it possible that love isn't growing or maturing in our life because we live in a perpetual state of fear? Because we live from panic attack to panic attack that causes us to be in fear and leaves us feeling inadequate of being loved like this. Is it possible that we're not experiencing real love because, because we're constantly being reminded of how many mistakes we've made rather than being celebrated for what we have to offer those around us? Is it, is it possible we've never encountered real love because we're living in this perpetual state of anxiety that keeps us feeling like we'll never live up to, we'll never amount to, we'll never result in whatever it was that somebody spoke over us when we were a kid, which became a word that planted in our spirit, and it became the very thing that everything was filtered through rather than the word of God being the very thing that everything is filtered through. You see, John is very intentional about his word choice here. He says there is no fear in perfect love, but rather perfect love drives out those fears. 
And while we, we will not be perfect, we know this on this side of heaven, we are made perfect through the help of the Holy Spirit. We are made perfect when we keep in step with the Spirit. Jesus says as much in Matthew 5 and verse 48, he says, Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. It's important for us to remember that the word perfect is the Greek word for teleos, which means something that is mature or complete. Something that has reached its goal or is being fulfilled or its purpose is maturing into completeness. Something that is complete in all its parts. Something that is becoming fully grown, is becoming of age, specifically of the completeness that we find as in Christian character. In other words, there is no fear in complete love. Complete love drives out those fears. And as a result, we have fear, holy awe, biblical fear in the Lord because of what he's done for us and what he desires to do through us. And I believe that when we transfer our worldly fear into heavenly fear, it, it gives us the confidence to be unafraid anymore. Jesus want, wants us and desires us to be complete. He wants us to be fully grown, specifically in godly character. And the way we become complete is by putting our trust in him. It's by receiving his spirit and learning to keep in step with him. Could I just offer you a couple questions for you to consider? Have you ever received and experienced real love, complete love, perfect love? The kind of love that will drive out all of those fears. Fearing of being inadequate, unworthy, unresourced, undeserving of the kind of life that God has destined and purposed you to live. Maybe another way of asking that question is this. What are you so afraid of? What are you so afraid of? I'm not talking about like clowns. Maybe, maybe not even really talking about, like, you know, spiders. Now, I don't have a problem with snakes. I'm just talking about my own personal fleshly fears. I'm talking about deep down. What's the thing that can, has the, the power to, to change your attitude? What's, what's got the, the, the power to change the thermostat on your life? What, what's the thing that keeps you up at night or wakes you up early in the morning causing you to just be so worried and anxious, and you're not even sure what it is. What is that? Maybe you know the answer, maybe you don't. Maybe you're realizing that in this moment, you, you, you don't know that you've actually ever encountered real love, life-transforming power, the kind of love that will take you from being public enemy number one to the greatest advocate for the kingdom of God that arguably ever lived, like the Apostle Paul. I believe that today there might actually be some Pauls in the room. Maybe you don't have a desire to kill Christians. That's not my point. But that there's something that's keeping you so locked up on the inside from receiving and experience real love. Maybe it's a lie, which I would argue and submit to you is what Paul op operated from. was a lie. But what is, what is it that you're so afraid of? Why don't you stand with me this morning? And let me, let me ask you this, these questions. And just, I'm just going to ask everyone for, for the sake of the moment to just to be still. 
if I, if I could just do that as, you, as your pastor, just to encourage you to be still. What are you afraid of? Have you, have you received and experienced real love? Complete love, perfect love, the kind of love that will drive out those fears. Or would you like love to drive out the very thing that you're afraid of? Is that, is that your day? Is that for you today? You see, you've got to remember that God is love. And he, ex- and he desires. And I would go as far as saying, I think he expects for you and I to experience his love in all of its fullness. I don't think there would be anything that gives him more joy. Just like Paul did, just like I have, and just like so many have here this morning. So I just wondered, is today the day that you receive and experience real love? Could I just ask you to close your eyes? We, we do that just to, to offer an opportunity for full transparency and, and vulnerability in the room. Not to embarrass anybody, to make you feel uncomfortable. If you feel uncomfortable closing your eyes, taking more naps. But is today the day that you receive and experience real love? The kind of love that drives out your fears. What are you afraid of? Maybe you're not sure what to, to name your fear, but you know that something's keeping you in fear. And you know that today you want to experience and, and, and encounter real love. Could I, could I just, just ask you to just do something really brave here this morning? Just If that's you, no one's looking. Not to embarrass you, to call you out. This is just an opportunity for you to get before the Lord and say, I, 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 I want real love in my life. And I want that love to to drive and cast out every fear, every worry, every anxiety, even every desire of my flesh so that I can live the full life that you've offered me. If that's you, just, would you just lift your hands to heaven right now, right here in this moment? There's no rush, not to embarrass you. This is just an opportunity for us to get really vulnerable before the Lord. I want, I want, to, I want to experience real love. I want to experience the love of the Father who was willing to sacrifice his son just so he could have a relationship with me. So that I could translate love no longer as a feeling, but, but a posture, an overflow of that which I've experienced through a living relationship with the Father. Father, I pray right now, like, you, like you've done for me, like you've done for Paul, like you've done for so many in this room, Make yourself real to us here this morning. By your spirit, I pray, Father, that we would encounter real love. The kind of love that sets captives free. That breaks every chain. That restores sight. That revives our souls. The kind of love, Father, that drives and casts out every fear. Father, I pray we'd encounter that kind of love right here in this moment. That as we grow to be more like you, Father, it would start with moments like this where we can encounter the real you. Let that, let that be the result of the day that we've encountered your real love here. And even if, even if we have before, Father, let us get a fresh outpouring of your love here this morning. Let us not miss this moment to ensure that our life is producing and maturing love the way that you desire and and long for us to experience and encounter and live from. 
Let us not live to be loved, but Father, let us live from a place of knowing we're loved, which gives us the confidence to go and demonstrate your love to everyone. So Father, pour out your spirit here this morning. Let us encounter you afresh. Let us experience the real love of the Father, the agape kind of love, the sacrificial kind of love, the transforming from the inside out kind of love, the kind of love that will drive out every fear, every fear. Because, Father, you are, in fact, love. You are love. And for that, we love you. We love you. We love you. Ripen the love in our life so that, Father, we can be love to everyone around us. So that we could show what you are like to the world around us. But let it only happen because we've experienced it for ourselves. And we know that when we experience your love, there's nothing that would there's nothing we'd want more than to share it with somebody else. Because when it's real, it's worth sharing. When it's transforming, it's worth sharing. When it changes our life, it's worth going and telling somebody about it. Let us experience you this morning, Father. Your real love. Your real love. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Just stay where you are. So this, this invitation that I offered last week about the hug. So funny how many of you came to me afterwards or during this week wanting a hug. But I was reminded of this guy that was like a social phenomenon. You know, he's like the free hug culture. And so I'm just going to let that keep going. I'm just going to keep offering free hugs. Because I think everyone needs a hug. Sometimes a hug is, is all we need. Hugs speak a thousand words without having to say a single thing. And so we're just going to offer hugs. I would encourage you to offer somebody a hug this week. Don't wait for me to hug you. You go be a hugger. And watch and see how the Lord might use you to reveal his likeness to the world around you. And I want to just remind us of our challenges this month. Take a walk with the Lord. Go uninterrupted. No distractions. Leave your phone at home. Doesn't have to be a long one. Heck, you can just walk to the mailbox and back. Just start somewhere. Start praying for your family and friends, your neighbors. This is how we see love start to mature itself in our life. We start praying and loving our friends and family and neighbors, even the ones that have wronged us. I've got a couple. They're on my list. It's hard. I got a list of, you know, like hit, it used to be a hit list. Now it's a prayer list. Like if I ever met somebody in the dark alley, it was like, hey, I do this for a living. This was the list. And I've turned it into a prayer list. Don't gossip. Challenge yourself not to get caught up in any gossip. If you're sitting in a room where people are doing it, just bite your tongue. Find a gracious way to change the narrative. Or excuse yourself from the conversation. <laughs> Listen, they get mad at you, that, at you for that, then you've planted the right seed. Be in the Word daily. Just commit to being in the Word. How you mature. This is how we keep a step. This is how we mature the, the, what God is doing in us. And then pray our daily prayer, the John Stott prayer that we 
been opening each, each week with. If you need it, it's on Instagram. If not, message me and I'll get it to you. We'll post it again this week. It'd be great if I had somebody who's really passionate about social media that wanted to manage the church's social media account. I would take a whole lot of weight off my shoulders, and I would love that. But if not, I'll do it until somebody comes and takes it from me. Let me just pray for us one more time. Father, let us leave here having encountered you. Let us leave here having something to share with our neighbor or our friend or our family. Let us leave here different than we came in. Whether it's stirring up a, an attribute or a character that's not right or it's celebrating ones that are. Whatever it might be, Father, let us leave here knowing that we've encountered real love, agape love, so that we can then go into all the places and spaces that you call us to go and love everyone, one another, those around us, the way that you have loved us. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Church, we love you. Have an amazing week. We'll see you next Sunday.